you'll be better at everything you do if you take stock in how you're doing things and and look for opportunities to learn and be more efficient and, and better in certain things. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner. And I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs, and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. And today, the one and only Michael Levitt, who is the founder and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, a San Diego and Toronto-based burnout media firm. He is an in-person and certified virtual speaker, certified NLP and CBT therapist, and a Fortune 500 consultant and an author of the new book, Burnout Proof. So clearly, Michael has done it all. And Michael, welcome to the show. I can hardly wait to hear about your story of burnout. Great to be with you today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Share with everybody, like, let's just dive in right away. What made you a burnout specialist? My own personal experience with burnout. Back in 2009 and 2010, I I had what I like to refer to as my year of worst case scenarios. That over a period of time between May of 2009 to May 2010, the following happened. I had a heart attack that should have killed me. I lost my job during the Great Recession. My car was repossessed and my home was foreclosed all in a year. And all of those things happened because I was burned out. I was a healthcare executive uh, and I was working basically 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week for two solid years and not taking care of myself, not eating properly, not doing things in life that were good for me and enjoying life, just working and working, a type A personality driven, wanting to make the organization a success but it cost me almost my life on top of everything else that happened afterwards. So after recovering from all of that, and that wasn't an easy journey, but it was one that was well worth it. I wanted to make sure that I never burned out again. And so I did a lot of research, self-reflection and discovered how to live a life that's free from burnout. And after doing that and getting back into the swing of things and being really successful, I went back into healthcare. My parents wanted to have me committed. They like, what are you doing? Why are you going back to the field that nearly killed you? And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it better this time. And a lot of people are, are brash and bold and say things like that. But I, I knew that I could and I wanted to. It was one of those things. It was like an unfinished business type of situation. And I went back, not to the same organization, but a new one. And you know, grew and, and really thrived. And after working you know, back in the field for a while, I noticed a lot of my counterparts were going through the same challenges that I did. And mm-hmm. I tried talking to them 
And they said they would just work through it, which is a common response of people that are burning out. They said, well, I'll just work through it. And, you know, working more hours doesn't work through it. It's like you actually have to work less than more. And I realized, okay, I need to go a little bit deeper in this and did some research and realized, wait a minute, you know, there's actually an opportunity here to do some things and write about it and launch a podcast and, and, then, and of course, launched a business and, and then things have kind of taken off from there. And I left the healthcare industry a few years ago and have been in this full tilt and no shortage of people and organizations that are struggling with burnout. So that's you know, the, the quick version of why I care about burnout and why I do the work in the burnout space. Right, right. And what are you doing differently? For me, I almost want to say like I would have to overhaul my entire life because if you're doing that 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. for two years, like that's all you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I, unfortunately, with the heart attack, it, you know, I was on a medical leave for 17 weeks. And for the first part of it, when I was on the new medications to keep me alive, you know, one of the side effects was at two o'clock every day, I had to take a nap. There was no, no choice in the matter. It wasn't like, I feel like taking a nap. No, I literally, I would, if I was sitting in a chair, I would pass out. So, and I was 40 at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, I mean, if I'm 60 or 70, this is probably the norm. Okay. But not at 40. I, this is not what I'm going to do. So I, you know, I made it a point. It's like, okay, I need to figure out how to get off of these medications. And as soon as I can, you know, safely, of course. And basically what I ended up doing and, and how I was able to shift from that 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. type of work was to establish clear boundaries of when I worked and when I didn't. I had to give up that I need to work in order to get this stuff done. I'm going to get done what I need to get done, but I need to do it in the time that I'm fresh and I'm alert right. so I can do the deep work. Right. Because you know we, we've discovered in a normal eight-hour workday, the productivity of so many of us is under four hours. So if there's eight hours in a day, we're productive, maybe half of that. Okay, what do we do in the other four? Well, a lot of other things, distractions, taking breaks, all of that stuff. And those are fine. You should. We're not built to just go constant work. And unfortunately, I didn't get that memo early on, and I just kept trying to do it. <laughs> and unfortunately, it you know, nearly cost me every. Well, it did cost me a lot, including you know my, you know, almost my life. So. For me, that was the biggest shift is like, okay, I need to establish boundaries of when I work and when I don't. And not working at 6 a.m. in the morning and not working late at night and coming up with when am I going to do work? When am I available? When am I not available? And making that shift was the first step. And then the next step was to get a clear picture on when I should be working and what I should be working on at those times, because each of us have different energy levels when we're good at certain things and right, maybe right. At other times that for me in the morning tends to be you know pretty good task oriented, working on projects, working on whatever I need to do. Afternoon is better for conversations or listening to shows or doing some research, but nothing real task heavy because my energy levels aren't the same at that point. And I'm not one to kick back a couple coffees at two o'clock in the afternoon because one, I'm not supposed to have caffeine when you're a cardiac patient. And they, they, I doesn't mean I don't have it, but I'm very, very careful on how much caffeine right. I consume. Understanding my energy levels where it makes sense for me to work. Now, there are people that are the complete opposite of me where 
don't ever ask them to work on tasks in the morning. That's a dangerous thing to do. The afternoon, they're better. And that's just how their energy levels are. So as an employer, when you want to make sure that your teams are operating and they're healthy and well and all of that, you know, dig deeper and figure out, okay, when are these employees the most productive and align their tasks with those times or give them the autonomy to be able to do it whenever they do it. Just, you know, give them the task. When do you expect it? And then get out of their way. And instead of this, you got to work at it this time, because if you ask somebody to do something by 11 a.m. and 11 a.m., they're finally waking up. Well, you know, the quality of that work may not be that good. So it goes back to understanding your team and your employees. Right. Did you find that when you were working less, you actually got more done? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did because it forces you to do when Cal Newport wrote the book, deep work. I'm a big fan of that book because it forces you to say, okay, for this time block, this is what I'm going to work on a singular task. Multitasking will not work ever. It doesn't work. It, it, it scatters your brain. So doing the deep work on something for a set period of time, you will finish it more effectively and efficiently than you would have if you don't do those guidelines. Another thing that I do with my schedule, and of course, running your own business gives you a lot more autonomy on this, but you can do it if you're working for somebody as well, if you can, is have themes for your days. So Mm -hmm. each day of my week or work week is just got a specific thing that I normally do on those days. Mondays, I'm a public speaker, so I do a lot of research and reaching out for speaking engagements or following up. Tuesdays are intro phone calls or follow-up phone calls with people. Wednesdays typically are the day that I record my show. Thursdays and Fridays, I don't schedule anything initially. And when things come up, we're interviewed on a show like yours or a last-minute talk to an HR conference, which is after this show today. I was able to do it because I didn't schedule anything on these days and it took time for me to get that, but that's what works for me. And it's made a huge difference because I know when I wake up, it's like, okay, what day is it? Wednesdays. Okay. I'm doing podcast interviews today. All right. My brain, my mindset, everything is geared for that. So I don't have to do these hard lefts or rights doing different tasks because I know on this day, I'm going to be doing this. And it, it, it reduces stress because you know, our brains aren't geared to shift back and forth, you know, quickly. Yeah. And it makes it easier for us to be more successful in what we do because we know that's what we're working on today. Right. The context switching, like you don't realize, like I was so resistant to, oh no, the text or the notification or the whatever wasn't like, I can look at it and ignore it and go back to whatever I was doing. And I might've been able to pick up my task Mm-hmm. you know, relatively quickly, but the energy piece, like the energy drain is what got me. And finally I realized how problematic context switching is. Never mind multitasking. Yeah. Oh, it's a yeah. big thing. Anytime we get interrupted, you know, it can take us up to a half an hour to get back into the swing of things, depending on what type of interruption it is. So, you know, with smartphones, of course, all the notifications that are on those things, as many notifications we get on them on a daily basis, no wonder we can't get anything done because if we're constantly picking up our eye binky, it's going to be 
that's a nickname my brother gave my phone because I tend to use it a lot. And he says, uh, will you put down your iBinky for a moment, please? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, so yeah, feel free to use it. It's not trademarked or anything. Well, Apple probably has it trademarked, but you know, I'm going to use it. Yeah. It, Cause that's what it is. I mean, you know, the number of times we pick up this thing and it keeps track of us. So they're watching. Yeah. It's like a hundred, it's over a hundred times. It, the average person, it's like 150 or something. The average person picks up their phone a day. Yeah. Yeah, the average time that they spend on it is in the hours. And, you know, when people, when I ask people, okay, are you doing things in life that you enjoy doing on top of your work? And they'll say, well, I'm not doing as much because I don't have enough time. I'll say, well, how many hours are you spending on your phone? And they'll say, oh, average five, six hours. So I think you can carve out a half an hour or maybe an hour to do something you like doing. So it won't be a big deal. And believe yeah. me, you, you, you won't miss the phone because you're going to be able to catch up on those notifications later on. Or like I do, I turn off most of the notifications on my phone other than text messaging the phone and maybe a couple of apps. I'm going to go in those other apps that I use, but I don't need to see the red circle saying, hey, you got a message. When I get to it, then I'll look and see if I've got a message. It has made right, a big right. difference for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you and I talked initially and I told you that I had taken most of November off and I turned all my notifications off. I deleted Facebook and Instagram off of my phone and it was the most freeing thing. I didn't realize what like an addict I was. Of, oh, I've got to check the phone. I've got to check the phone. Mm-hmm. And, and I have pretty like decent phone habits in that like it gets shut off at a certain time during the day. I don't, you know, roll over and check my phone if I wake up in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning. You know, I'm not on Facebook every two seconds, but you still, you don't, like it's just insidious. Right. With the constant interruption. And it's been great because having that clarity now, I'm much more in tune with, oh, let me just leave it over there. Right. And yeah, really it's... focus on things that I want to, so it's a big help. And I, it's, I'm, I'm glad you did that. And, you know, I took most of December off, although I had a couple of speaking engagements I had to do, but I took that month off and it's very refreshing because again, you realize how much you use technology and how much you do things. And when you're not doing that and you're focusing on something else it, at first, you know, like the first few days, it, it's like many addictions in a way, whether you're addicted to work or addicted to your smartphone or whatnot, you go through withdrawal and you're like, I should be doing this. And it's just habit. It's motor memory type of thing. And, and to step away, it's like, no, I'm on vacation. I'm not doing that. And after a while it gets to it. And then when you get back into it, I, I love that you acknowledge that you realized, okay, I need to be more conscious of how I use this and mm-hmm. deliberate instead of just autopilot, which so many of us fall into that trap. Yeah. Yeah. And I had said the whole reason why I took November off was that I was burned out mm. and I was one of those people like, no way, there's no way I could be burned out. Like I meditate, I take time off. I've been on vacation. I, I do all the self-care stuff. But when I started thinking about everything that had happened, in the last two years, the transition that my kids and I have made, we've all moved out and back in together, you know, COVID and, you know, my kids, it's good stuff. It's not good stuff. It's not, you know, anything as significant with what you went through, but I needed the break. I just needed to completely unplug. And it was the best thing I have ever, ever done. Cause now I'm like, let's, let's go and you know, get the hair on fire. <laughs> But I also changed how I'm doing, you know, really my business in that 
I have these six week sprints and as you know, we're recording today, my, my first sprint ends next Thursday. So um, I get my first four to five days off, but I'm like, yay, I'm ready. That's awesome. No, that's great that you do that. And you recognize that and it makes it, makes it manageable. And also it, it keeps your focus because you know, even if you're starting to feel a little worn down from the work that you do, knowing, okay, I've got, you know, my you know, mini sabbatical coming up and pretty, mm-hmm. and I can just reflect on how, you know, the last six weeks went. Did I learn anything? Is there something I'd like to change? Do I want to do some things different? Um, do I want to eliminate something? Is there something that I'm doing that I don't really want to do anymore? And, and it, it gives you that opportunity when you can, you know, pull off to the side of the road and, and look at the scenery and, and go, wow, this is, this has been good. And, yeah. uh, and I commend you for doing that because it's, it's something that I do. I, I don't do the, the, the sprints, but I'm beginning to think that that may not be a bad idea. And I can, you know, do that in the, the second part of the year. Uh, Cause my schedule is kind of, I, I purposely, you know, I've kind of, I don't want to say filled things up, but as far as appointments and things like that, up until June, I have stuff. And then from July to the end of the year, really don't have anything booked other than if there's a speaking engagement or something that's booked out that way, but everything else is, is wide open space. And I think I may, I may permanently borrow your, your six week sprint thing. Cause that, that sounds actually like an additional enhancement. At least I can try it out and see how it Thank fits. You. Awesome. Yeah, well, I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And the reason why I came up with it was because I, you know, everybody does these quarter planners and we talk about the quarter and everything else. And I really like the sprint part. And I know you can't sprint a marathon. Like I teach that, I live that. And it's like, how do I get that feeling without, you know, being exhausted? Mm-hmm. And the quarter's too long. So it to is, do this yeah. is great because we had our team meeting today too. So we already started evaluating, all right, so first six weeks, what did we do well and where did we not? And starting to already make those changes. And then, you know, I'm gonna finish up a few things next week and then I'm off. And then we can just hop back in and finish the quarter really strong. Well, that, that's great that you're doing that too, because if you go, you know, a full quarter and let's say you take a you know, week or two off, well, if there was things that you were doing that could be better, well, you, you did them, I don't want to say wrong, but not the best for a full quarter, where by you doing right. the six-week sprint, you can go, okay, that didn't work. And I, I love the fact that you have a, a debrief and say, okay, what went well, what didn't. So many organizations don't do that because they don't give themselves right. the time to do it. It's critical that you do that. Right. You, you'll be better at everything you do if you take stock in how you're doing things and and look for opportunities to learn and be more efficient and, and better in certain things. And uh, no, again, I'm, I love the fact of the six week sprint. I'm like wanting to go back to my calendar and say, maybe I need to shift around. <laughs> like, you know, it's here, you know, next, next week is, well, we're already kind of at six weeks. So like I said, with your thing, so I'm like mm, a little late for me to do that, but uh, I'm going to definitely, you know, trial it out for the summer yeah. in the fall for I sure. Got, I think you get six week sprints. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's all good. How has your whole experience, because I mean, it wasn't just a couple of days. It wasn't a couple of things. It was an entire, like over a year of, and I'm just going to say shitstorm, just for lack of a better word at the moment, but 
like craziness. How has that impacted the way you lead, the way you do everything now? And what's your thought process around like building momentum um, as you continue on and grow this business too? I think going through those experiences and that shows a great way to describe that year. It was every one of those things you get knocked down. You think, okay, well, that's good. Then boom, get knocked down again. And then again and again, after going through all of those things, I learned, okay, you know, what didn't work obviously, and what wasn't working for me. And then you made the adjustments in my life to prevent it from ever happening again. But what it taught me was resilience for one and understanding that setbacks in life or challenges or difficult moments. And I've had them since then. And I don't want to paint this picture that everything has been, you know, sunshine and, you know, nonstop ice cream and the best coffee in the world all the time. No, it was, you know, there's been some challenging times, you know, since those days, but knowing what I went through has given me the strength to say, okay, I will get through this situation seek clarity. So I'm clear minded when I'm facing something. So I don't necessarily miss an opportunity to improve things or navigate through whatever situation that I was facing at that time with the understanding of I've survived a lot. And the phrase, this too shall pass, you know, it, it will. This pandemic that we've been facing, it has been challenging for everyone in different facets. It's been challenging for me, although, you know, from a career standpoint, business standpoint, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the nasty side effect of people burning out is helps, you know, pay my bills. It's, I, I would love to trade that and say, okay, you know, right. burnout, burnout's gone. I can do something else. I, I'm not worried about that, but <laughs> since it is there and because of what I do, it's like, okay, I, I need to, I need to use my skill set to, to be a benefit to people. But for me, you know, getting through all of those things and being more resilient has helped me whenever I face a challenge. It's a reminder, it, you know, it's almost like a guardian angel in a way of saying, you've been through worse. This is nothing compared to what you went through. So you'll get through this. Just right. be clear-minded, do the right thing, and you'll be fine. It'll, everything sorts out. And, and that's been, you know, very helpful to me, you know, throughout, you know, my career, especially, you know, after, you know, those, you know, wonderful 369 days that I had. Right. Absolutely. With the pandemic, it gave everybody, if you take a survey, a lot of people will say, you know, I, I got to slow down. Hmm. Right. And they're appreciating that regardless of what's going on for them a lot of times. And yet, like anxiety and mental illness and burnout is at, I think, an all-time high because of the uncertainty. How do you find like some balance there if you are feeling burned out, but you're also like feel like you're doing less or you're not juggling as many things because you're not going all over the place or you're not doing some of the you know, fun things that we got to got to do earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Yeah, definitely, I agree with you. You know the the mental health issues, the anxiety, the burnout has increased dramatically uh, since this pandemic. And I'll be honest, you know, when the pandemic first hit, and it was April of last year, 2020, my initial thought was, okay, everyone's going to be able to slow down. That's going to slow down the burnout quite a bit, and because people are going to be able to be at home, they're going to go at a different pace. And 
address some of these things and you know maybe i need to you know find another job because <laughs> i'm thinking oh <laughs> yeah like, huh well that was good while it lasted you know that's fine you know and you know some of the greatest shows only had a couple seasons so but i was wrong on that and you know the burnout increase people are working more hours than they were before in many cases because a lot of people a couple of reasons one they're afraid that the, their employers will perceive that they're not working hard because they're at home. Okay. They're thinking they're going to be on the couch watching Netflix, not doing anything. So they are trying to prove that, yes, in fact, I am working. So they're working more than before to prove that they're actually working. And so when you're seeing all these people that are, quite frankly, doing a lot of 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. kind of shifts, which scares me because I know what that can do. Because factor in too, so many people became full-time school teachers as well because their kids right. were home and and all of that and that has been a challenge and organizations have had to pivot around that some have done a good job some maybe not so much to figure out okay the school day tends to coincide with the nine to five more or less it's, it's in that block so how can i do this when i have to make sure that my kids are in their online class and not on their Xbox or PlayStation or running outside and playing when they're supposed to be in class. And yeah. you know, they've, they've got a you know, video game while they are in class. Exactly. <laughs> you know, all the things that we're jealous that they're able to do, because we certainly didn't get a chance to do that when we were in school, but end of day, you've got that factored in and your spouses or partners are home or two. So there's a lot of dynamics going on of that. And for employers, I think the ones that have done a really good job, you know, scaled back things a bit and they didn't stop making things or doing things they did is they scaled some things back to focus on what do our customers need from us right now and work on that. The other things and initiatives right. they'll get to, or maybe they won't, they might say, you know what, that doesn't make sense anymore because of the changing landscape, but basically getting away from this nine to five, eight hour, Henry Ford assembly line type of work environment mm -hmm. to a, here's your role, here's your tasks, here's the deadline, text me if you need anything, and then managers get out of the way. And there's a lot of managers that aren't comfortable with that because they are used to stopping by their desks or seeing them in the hallway and, and overseeing, making sure right, people right. are working. If people aren't working, you're going to know because the deliverables aren't going to be done when they're do. So Correct. set clear deadlines, make sure they have all the things they need to do, especially in a remote environment that they can access and finish everything, be available for them when they need, let them do their job. That's why you hired them, get out of their way. And organizations that are doing that have been navigating through this quite well. The ones that aren't, that are constantly micromanaging and things like that, we're seeing a lot of people taking sick leave. It's like you're at home. You know, but they're taking, they're going on medical leave and, you know, working with clients that are in the insurance industry last year, as we've said, the mental health claims and all that have skyrocketed. So a lot of organizations, when it comes to their insurance renewals for 2021 are in for a big surprise, because if there's been a lot of claims in your organization, your insurance premiums are going to go up considerably. Right. And that's right. going to be a big red flag on the financial statements that you might need to put in the notes of the financial statement as to why did our insurance premiums go up 35%. And a lot right. of people are going to be asking questions. And if it's because your organization's been burning out your employees, 
that's going to be a fun conversation with your board of directors. I wish you luck. And it's, yeah. but you're going to see that. And we're going to, and we are seeing that. And it's going to be really interesting to see what organizations do to address that. And hopefully they will recognize that employee wellness, both mental and physical, are a critical component to the success of an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, because you said such a, I think an amazing thing in the Henry Ford assembly line manufacturer nine to five, do you think that's an outdated model of working? I do. I do. And I grew up in Detroit, so not normally bad mouthing Henry Ford or the auto sector. Right. You know, my, my dad and grandfather and great grandfather all worked for GM. We call them generous motors in our household. So, but that way of working, the industrial age worked back in you know the days that they did that. Even now with you know making cars and things like that, they could say, okay, how many cars are we going to make today? Well, you establish that when it's done, then let everybody go, but don't pay them by the hour. You pay them by the output or the tasks or what they do. Right. Um, even with people that are on salary, there's still an eight hour connotation to that. It's like, why bother? So I, I shifting things in most roles, especially right. in office-based are task driven. They make deliverables, whether it's reports or results or, you know, graphic designs or whatever the case may be, assign them the tasks, let them know when it's supposed to be done, give them what they need, get out of their way. If they get it done fast, awesome. Don't overload them. Oh, he's really efficient. Right. We'll just double up. Well, guess what? You're going to burn them out and then you're going to lose all that productivity. Right. When you give people time to be able just to stare at a wall and reflect and think about their work, that's when creativity comes in. That's when you can be relaxed and you can look at things and go, you know what? If we did this particular type of project using this mechanism instead of that one, what would that do? And they may realize that right. makes them more efficient. They may need to use less people on that particular project, which will free those people up to work on other things. And all of a sudden you're getting a lot of efficiency in your organization. Mm -hmm. And would you structure the day differently? Like, yeah. I would, I would. I mean, it's, and one of the things that's come, it's been a challenge for a lot of organizations right now, but I also look at it as an opportunity is when people are available, hasn't been the nine to five block, you know, and, and as much as I don't like people working into the evening, I understand that there may be some circumstances that with kids, they have to do something during the day. So they work later at night in order to finish the things they need to work on. But also there are things where quite frankly, there are people, and like we talked about this before, they work better at night. It, they're actually quicker and more effective and more efficient. Right. Me, not so much. You know, right. if, I had, if I had to work a 12 to eight type of shift, that would be a challenge for me. I would be able to do it. I'd have to adjust and you know, reconfigure some things, but that would be different yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, but for some people, I, work, you know, I, I can think of a physician that I worked with when I was in healthcare. Whenever we had any type of physician meetings or any other meetings, we did oftentimes at two o'clock in the afternoon. Now, normally I'd say, well, we do it, you know, 11, maybe just before lunch and all that stuff. You did not want to talk to her before noon. Sweet, sweetest human being, you know, one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Very caring, very nurturing. You're quintessential, great physician, 
cares for people, patience, not a morning person. Right. I mean, she'd you know, come in, you know, with Starbucks. It was like 1115. I think it was the earliest I ever saw her. And I looked at her and I'm like, and of course, my my brother who I grew up with is not a morning person either. So I've already had the military training of don't address people that aren't morning people too rambunctiously because it could backfire. Now with my brother, I took advantage of that because I was the bigger brother and big brothers pick on their siblings because that's the law. But I wasn't about to do it with this physician. So I'm like, I just didn't say we're just smiled, smiled and you know, scurried off to my office. I'm like, mm, I don't know what that's going to be, but my senses were. Uh -uh. So to get back to your question, my hope is organizations will say, work when you want to work unless there's things where you need to interact with people and understand it. And global companies, actually you're better set up for this than some people that are just stationed in one time zone because right. we're used to working with somebody. If we've got a West Coast office or East Coast or overseas, London, whatever, we know, okay, if I want to work with Fiona, who's in our UK office, mm -hmm. I know these are the hours when I'm working that overlap when she's working. So you schedule accordingly, or you send an email, schedule right. it. So she's not getting an email at, at midnight at her time, thinking she's got to address it, use the scheduler. So it shows up when, during her normal work hours right. and collaborate that way. So it does give people some flexibility because again, I think, especially for those that are going to stay remote and not go back to the office. And there's, we're going to, it'll be interesting to see how that actually turns out when, when things are said and done. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to get away from the nine to five thing to say, okay, we're, we're switching to a, this is how much we're paying you a year. This is what we want you to do as an employee of this organization. Here's your descriptions. Here's the things you're working on make the best of it and, and trust employees to do it. The ones that aren't going to do well, it's going to show up really fast in right. what they produce. Um, right. So, you know, throw out the time clock and it'll do better, quite frankly. No, I totally agree. Like, I mean, all my, and I work from home, so my, my team's all virtual and has been, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the deliverables are, are the deliverables and I really don't care when they do it. As long as it's done exactly for somebody who is feeling burned out you have a really cool online course that might be helpful for them can you talk about that a little bit yeah with a lot of things that i talk about in the talks that i give and all of that and the questions that i get a lot from people you know i put together a course and basically it's a way for them to get understanding what burnout is what are the signs of burnout what are some things that you can do right away to stop burnout. A lot of people think when I'm burned out, it's going to take me months to recover. Not necessarily. If you implement a handful of things, which you can do pretty quickly, it stops the burnout. The deeper work, of course, is figuring out why you burned out in the first place, because you don't want to burn out again. No, Whether, no you don't. No. I, not, you know what? I, I got two stents in my left interior descending artery that is known as the widow maker. I shouldn't be here. My right. cardiologist told me you are very lucky to be alive right now when he was about to operate on me and like that. I shouldn't, you know, statistically speaking, be here, but I am. So I don't want to ever flirt with burnout again. And I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like and smells like. So I make sure that if I sense it, I, you know, I hit the brakes, hit the parking brake and you put blocks underneath the wheels and I don't move and I go, all right, we need to address this right now. And 
really focusing on that makes a big difference. So the course goes through that. It's, you know, easily consumable videos, even with my books, you know, my books are pretty quick to read and that's intentional. I could have easily wrote, you know, 200, 300 pages. I write, I mean, that's not a problem, but I didn't want to write a book like that. I wanted a book that was under a hundred pages that people could read and they could probably do it in one setting, depending on how, you know, how fast they read, because I wanted them to be able to consume it and take action. Right. And, 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 and do something and the same thing with the course, you know, it's, I think it may be an hour total in length, but it's little segments here, go do this here, do this very, you know, military, you know, in and out kind of thing and, and learn from it and apply it. And all of a sudden you do it and you're like, wow, that was actually pretty easy to implement. That's the intent. A lot of these things right. that we do and you know it too, and oh, you know, yeah. addressing your burnout, they're easy to implement, but much like anything, it's a habit and habits are, hard to develop and, and but understanding you know what's why do you want to do this and, and keep reminding yourself of that makes it easier to you know make the, the necessary adjustments in your life to uh, live a life that is free from burnout I love it I love it and I mean I'm as committed as you to not being burned out again because it felt awful yeah. You know, and, and I was really so bewildered, like, why am I dragging myself to my desk when I love what I do? And it took three different people to be like, um, might be burned out. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's it hap it happens yeah. innocently, especially you know, type A driven. The things we're doing are good. And a lot of people that are burned out, the things they're doing are actually good to do, but you have to do it within a certain time and not all in because if you don't take care of yourself and do things that you enjoy doing in life you're just working and working it will catch up with you and the outcomes could be quite devastating if yeah. you don't want to get ahead of it beforehand absolutely michael i want to thank you for being on the show because i one enjoyed having you here it's been so much fun to talk about six week sprints and iBinkies. I'm going to be writing iBinky all over the place now. There you go. But even more important, like I am dedicated to helping people not be stressed out and overwhelmed. And this has been really, really valuable. So thank you. And everybody download Michael's course. Um, there's a code. If you use the code 90, and I know you have the links, okay. use the code 90, N-I-N-E-T-Y. It's 90% off. So it ends up being okay. like 20 bucks. So it's, right, it's, it's really cheap and definitely take advantage of it. Okay, definitely worth the investment. And where can everybody connect with you? Yeah, breakfastleadership.com is the website. My email is michael at breakfastleadership.com. And on, on most social media channels under the name, the letter B and then fast leadership. So be fast leadership. And I tell people do not put that on a license plate. That's not a good idea. Yeah, police, for some reason, the police don't like seeing the word fast on a plate. So lesson learned. Good to know. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And everybody, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. And I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. Mm -hmm.